welcome to episode 66 of From the Front Porch, a collection of conversations on books, small business, and life in the South. I'm Chris Jensen, a PhD student at Florida State University and a bookseller at the Bookshelf. And I'm Annie Jones, owner of the Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in beautiful downtown Thomasville, Georgia. Today, Chris and I are chatting about our favorite television shows for readers. And I watch a lot of them. <laughs> so, this will be a fun one. Um, Alright, Chris, we like TV. We do. Um, sometimes to the detriment of my reading. Yes, I get that. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's always a sign that I'm not reading a super compelling book, is that I'd rather watch Netflix or something. That's interesting. Yeah. And for me, it's because when I read, that's all I'm doing. Whereas when I watch TV, I can do other things. That's true. So it's like good for your productivity. Like yeah. you fold cl- well, yeah, I fold clothes or clean my house. Do dishes. Yeah. Cook even. Or sometimes I can even write while there's a TV show on in the background. Oh, I can't do that. But sometimes. Only sometimes. And only certain genres of writing. I can write a blog post that way. I cannot write an academic article that way. Right. I would wind up writing what I'm reading writing what I'm listening to. Mm. My brain I like would transcribe the episode I'm watching, I think, if I tried to write while I while I watched. Um but yeah, I feel like I do watch a lot of TV, and I think that's thanks mostly to to Netflix. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, because of Netflix. So, what are your, some of your favorite shows? Right now, I am going through Gilmore Girls. Yes. Which is great. <laughs> I love Gilmore Girls. I know. I know. Um, so I'm in the middle of season four right now. All right. Which is great. Still good. Still good. I feel like soon you'll see a downhill spiral. Downward spiral. I guess I'm ready for that. But what makes Gilmore Girls good? Okay, so here's the thing. I, that, Gilmore Girls was at the top of my list, not just because it's like a staple in my life. Like, I've been watching Gilmore Girls since um, high school. Like, I watched it in real time, which I feel like is now like a badge of honor I wear. Mm -hmm. Um, So I watched it in real time, not on ABC Family, not on Netflix. And I love Rory. The older I get, the more I kind of sympathize with the Lorelai character. Um, but regardless, why I've mentioned it or why I had it on my list for favorite TV shows for readers is because I think it's incredibly well written. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think the quality of that writing does change um, throughout the seasons. So I have seasons that are my favorites to watch and then seasons that I kind of just pretend don't exist. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I think... It's naturally for readers because Rory is a reader. And so True. reading and literature play a big part in their pop culture references. Um, in fact, I saw that there's a website of um, with a list of all the books Rory claims uh, to have read that's great. Uh, on the show. And so reading plays a big part um, in Rory's life and in Lorelai's life. And interestingly, also in Rory's romantic choices, my favorite one of Rory's boyfriends has always been Jess. And I feel like that's because... Yeah, he's got a lot of flaws, and I wouldn't necessarily want them to marry one another. He has a lot of problems. He does, but he's so well-read. He's so well-read, and he takes her recommendations and reads them and tries to understand her through the choices that she recommends. Yeah, and he makes notes in her her book, which I know some people consider sacrilege, but I love that. That's the only way to read. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, so I just feel like there are lots um, lots of literary references and... To me, it's a show for readers, not just because it's well-read and well-constructed, um, but because it has, like, little Easter eggs for those right. of us who read a lot. Right. And this is something 
that in literary studies we have a word for because we have every we have a word for everything <laughs> in literary studies because we are we are a problem. Um, but the word for that um, is intertextuality, when one text contains all of these other texts that you're supposed to read and understand the Gilmore Girls show better by reading the things that Rory reads, okay. understanding why she is reading them, right. um, which I think is great. Um, and I love that you brought up all those Easter eggs, that it's, it's rewarding its viewers for having knowledge outside of the show. Yes, which I love because I can't tell you how smart I feel or how good about myself I feel when I catch one of their references and I get it. Yeah. And I've rewatched the show. Um, so I, I pretend season seven doesn't really exist. I've only seen it a couple of times. Mm -hmm. But seasons one through six I've seen multiple times. Like, I don't even know how many times. Um, and then my favorite seasons, two through four, um, I watch regularly, like on rotation. And now, like, the older I get, the more I get some of the references. Mm -hmm. The references I didn't get when I was 16 and watching it right. for the first time, right. I get now. So I feel like it also rewards you for re-watching it. Um, not every show, to me, has rewatchability. Right. So. And the show par excellence, another show for readers we can talk about, is Arrested Development. Uh, which I love. Which rewards viewers for following the show, yeah. for watching it sequentially, and also for re-watching it. Because it's so intricately woven. All of its jokes are so subtle and build on one another in a way that if you're watching it for the first time, you might not be catching. Right. And I don't think they want you to catch it right. all. That's the, that's the thing is I love shows, yeah, that reward you for watching them over and over again. And so the more you watch, the more you understand. Right. Um, and interestingly, that's kind of the opposite of my reading life. Right. Because I don't love to reread books. Now, there are a handful that I will reread, but generally I am a one-take wonder. Like I read it and I comprehend it and I feel good about it. And I want to talk about it, but I don't want to read it again. Mm -hmm. um, and I am very much a rereader. I don't feel like I've read a book until I've read it twice. Okay. Well, which is probably true um, for certain books, I would mm -hmm. think. The, this is not true of all books. No, but of, yeah. But of a lot of books, all of my favorite books I've read more than once. And a lot and of what... I like I have to. I was going to say, a lot of what you read, I would think, yeah, you well, need to read it. But even just regular fiction, literary yeah. fiction, I want to read it again. Yeah. Because there are things that I missed or things that I didn't appreciate the first time. But what's so interesting about Gilmore Girls and Arrested Development is that they are both shows from the early 2000s. I think Arrested Development came out in 2003, which would be season three of Gilmore Girls. Yeah. Season three or four. But this is the age before Netflix, yeah. like many years before Netflix, when rewatching wasn't really a thing. You could even do that was available. Yeah. That was easily available. You could watch it DVD. In, in syndication. You could get the <laughs> DVDs if you were really a diehard fan. And I think that's maybe why Arrested Development didn't succeed the first time around. It got three seasons and was canceled because. Right. It was rewarding viewers that it didn't have. That's true, because my brother is the one who got me into Arrested Development, and I, in turn, got him into Gilmore Girls. And so he immediately bought the Arrested Development DVDs. And so you are... I mean, you can't really watch that show once. Like, no. you really have to watch it a couple of times to get not only the nuances, but the humor. Mm -hmm. I feel like it takes a while to get into that rhythm. And then when you're in it, you love it. You, you love it. And, and years later, you will, you will get a joke. And then you'll have to watch the whole thing over again to see like how this joke plays out. Because they set things up in their first episode that don't pay off until two seasons later. Yeah. It's insane. And Gilmore Girls is known, I mean, notorious for their really um, large scripts. And mm -hmm. so part of the rewatchability of Gilmore Girls is not just the constant pop culture references, but they're talking so fast. Mm -hmm. Like, um, Which, I'll be honest, I don't really notice. 
Jordan, who had never seen Gilmore Girls until we met, I think I wanted to show it to him, right? Like, mm-hmm. I wanted to show him this thing that I love, and it was devastating. Well, it wasn't too devastating, but he, he did not like it. And he told me, he was like, I don't like this because they talk too fast. They cannot keep up with this. And I don't notice it either. That's yeah. something, like, I had seen Gilmore Girls before a handful of times, eight or nine times, um, but I had never followed it. Yeah. So I started watching it a few weeks ago. I'm now into season four, but I don't notice that they talk fast. Everybody uh-huh. told me that that's to what, I don't what to look out for and what I would like about it, that yeah. it's all this quick dialogue you have to keep up with. They even reference it on the show. Yeah. When Lorelai meets new people, she evaluates them on whether they can keep up. Keep up with her. And that's great. Maybe because I talk quickly. Yeah. That's possible. But I just don't notice it at all. Yeah, I don't notice it either. But Jordan immediately noticed, and it was a turnoff for him. And for me, I feel rewarded that I get to keep up with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so Gilmore Girls made definitely the top of my uh, favorite TV shows for readers. And I, that's, it's not actually a crossover episode, but I just watched A Gilmore Girls last night in season four, the live art festival, uh, festival yeah. of live art. Yes. But Arrested Development has an episode on that same thing. They do. And I think those episodes came out in the same year. They did. Which is amazing. Gilmore guys talked about <laughs> Good. this. Good. Because there are some actual overlaps between Arrested Development and, um, and Gilmore Girls. So Gilmore Girls has Emily Gilmore, mm-hmm. um, played by Kelly Bishop. And um, frequently she is reminiscent of uh, Lucille Bluth. Lucille Bluth, yeah. Played by Jessica Walter. So there is some overlap there. Um, and then kind of Jason Bateman com- and Lorelai Gilmore kind of have some similarities. They talked about that on Gilmore Guys That's too. That's interesting. And then they talk about, yeah, the living Festival of Living Art um, being referenced in both shows. And they did come out the same year. Huh. Um, but Gilmore Girls did come out first. But obviously being written about around the same time. Right. So, very interesting. And they both do this interesting commentary with religious art. Um, Renaissance Christian art where you have Kirk as Christ at the Last Supper getting into a fight with Judas. Yeah. Which is great. But then in Arrested Development, it's George Michael playing Adam in Michelangelo's creation of Adam. Yeah. And God, played by George Bluth Sr., doesn't show up. He's not there. And the audience just yells out, like, where is God? There is no God. (laughs) And it's hilarious. Yeah. Uh, I love it. Absolutely. So good. Yeah, so there are some definite, obvious, like, overlaps with Arrested Development and Gilmore Girls. So it's no surprise um, that I like both, I guess. Um, In terms of dramas, I really think a show that is great for readers is Breaking Bad. Absolutely. Breaking Bad is probably my favorite TV show. Not my favorite to rewatch because it's not always fun to rewatch, but it is always beautiful. Have you rewatched it? Yes. <laughs> I've watched seasons one through four three times and season five twice. Wow. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. So we watched it. We were late to the game, right? We watched it probably last year. Mm-hmm. I love that show because I think it is nearly perfect in terms mm, of writing and plotting yeah. and pacing. And, and performance. And performance. Oh gosh. But but I don't know if I could rewatch it. It is so intense. I do remember getting to a point where I told Jordan, because we were watching it on Netflix, and I said, please, we just need to finish this. Because my heart, like, <laughs> it, it was just, not only was it stressful, but it was heartbreaking. Like, it was truly heartbreaking. To it me. is. It's one of the best constructed narratives I've ever seen. And I think that's why I would recommend it as a TV show for readers, because yeah. the writing on it is so smart so tight so tight there is nothing that is nothing is wasted yeah nothing at all every scene is part of a whole it's a gestalt 
I guess <laughs> you might say that. <laughs> um, but the genius of it is just in all of it coming together. The performance, the cinematography, yeah. everything, all of those wide shots of the New Mexico desert. Mm -hmm. Just incredible. And then these very human, large themes of what does it mean to be a good person? Mm -hmm. Like, that's the broadest theme that there is in literature, and yet... <laughs> Nothing does it better than Breaking Bad. Yeah, I I feel like the character development and you watch, you as you watch Walt break bad and as mm -hmm. you I don't and as you watch Jesse struggle with his conscience mm -hmm. and and Skylar and Skylar uh, and Skylar to me is one of those characters that you watch her and I will admit that like the first few episodes she drove me nuts. Mm -hmm. I I feel like I just didn't understand her but then you then you feel sorry for her and then she's very empowered and then you don't like her like I don't know there's just all these feelings associated with her absolutely and there's so much fan backlash of young men almost ex exclusively on the internet who hate Skylar yeah but these are also people who think that Walt is a good person a hero a good guy a hero he yeah. is the protagonist yeah right. but he's not a good person no he's not a person you're supposed to emulate no or really want to succeed and that's what makes the show so interesting that you do want him to succeed, right. and yet you know morally that you shouldn't. I was going to say, you want him to succeed, but you also want him to right the ship that he right. is so dreadfully wrong. It's much like Lolita, the Nabokov novel in that regard, I think, where there's just someone doing despicable things, yeah. and you can't help but root for them because of how it's written. Right. And you know that it's wrong, and you feel bad about yourself for <laughs> right. for sympathizing with a bad, a very, very bad person, Yeah. but you can't help it. Oh, I, I just, when we watched that show, I finally understood. So we are big awards show watchers here. <laughs> and so we, you know, had been spent years watching the Emmys and we would always, you know, Breaking Bad would always win and we were not watching it at the right. time. So we were kind of thinking, geez, what is it about the show? And I remember when we finished it, we looked at each other and we were like, well, now we know. Now like, we know. That's what it is. <laughs> this is deserving of every accolade it's ever received. That show has made me cry a lot of times, but it is the first time what, there's an episode in the final season, toward the end, that is the only thing that has ever made me cry purely from dramatic tension, where just mm -hmm. because I didn't know what was going to happen, yeah. and I was so caught up upset. in it, and it just upset me yeah. so much, not because a character said something that was really nice, right. which makes me cry always, right. or because a character died, which sometimes makes me sad, but no, just because... I didn't know what was happening, and it was so tense, and I didn't know what to do. That's what I mean. So tense that I—that's why I would tell Jordan like we have to finish this because I am bothered. Yeah. Like I am deeply affected by this television show. And that is good art. And, I was about to say, and that's what good books do. That's what good books do as well. Anything that can affect you so emotionally with something that didn't actually happen. Right. <laughs> So let's go a little lighter. You okay. and I are also fans of Jane the Virgin. Yes, I love Jane the Virgin. I know. Honestly, for a lot of the same reasons that I love Breaking Bad. Yeah. It has so many of the same questions and themes. Like? Like this... Well, first off, let's talk about just the, sty the style of the show. And the premise. So if you don't watch okay. Jane the Virgin. So the premise of the show is that Jane Villanueva is a virgin and she gets accidentally artificially inseminated and chooses to carry the baby to term. Right. And she's going to give it up for adoption to its biological father, and then things get complicated. <laughs> and that's the premise of season one. Yeah. Um, it's great. And it's told in this really, I will admit, you and Rebecca watched Jane the Virgin, and it kept coming up on my Netflix as like recommended things to watch. 
And I heard telenovela, and I thought, cannot, cannot do it. No, but it's, it's but a, it is fantastic. It's a meta commentary on the telenovela. Yes. It knows what it is. It knows that it is ridiculous in nature and is leaning into that. Yeah. Um, no, it's incredibly smart, which I think is one thing that I really need out of a TV show. Mm-hmm. And we'll get to maybe a couple of exceptions to that later. Um, but I think if it's a show like I'm really watching, maybe even rewatching. It, that's because it is smart mm-hmm. and, and clever. That is what I'm looking for. It's what I'm looking for in books, too. Like, And all the characters are just so compelling mm-hmm. in Jane the Virgin. That's what I love about the show. Every, every character is compelling. Yeah. I want to watch all of them. It also doesn't hurt that they're all very attractive. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Every person on that show is it's just beautiful. beautiful. You're right. And the dialogue, much like Gilmore Girls, is very quick it and is. smart. Something that I that that show does, and I think House of Cards does too. We can talk about House of Cards too. Yeah. Um, along the lines of Breaking Bad, of just watching bad people do bad things and kind of loving it. Mm-hmm. Um, but having the text messages on screen is yeah. something I haven't seen done well. Not done well, for sure. Um, I have seen it a lot lately in the past five years or so, but to do it well takes a lot. And I think House of Cards and Jane the Virgin are the two that do it best. I think uh, in Jane the Virgin, well, in both of those shows, it's not a distraction. Right. I feel like so often it can be. Um, but I know specifically, like, in Jane the Virgin, when you're watching Jane send a text, her, that actress, her face totally shows what she's feeling, what she's typing. I mean, it's fantastic acting. Yes, she's incredible. Yeah. Um, but what I love about how he uses this text is that it it captures how we actually communicate how with each other. How we actually use them. Right. Um, it shows Jane sitting in bed and she's going to text her boyfriend something because that's how we would communicate. Right. That's how young millennials communicate with one another. Right. She's not going to call him. She's going to text him. They're going to have a brief conversation via text message. Right. And it does that unobtrusively by just showing the messages on screen as she types them, as she erases them, yes. as she revises them. Right, with, and the three little dots are waiting for her to write. Yeah. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Beautiful. It's really it's really well done. And I, I'm irritated at myself for, not, for putting off watching it because then, talk about a binge-worthy show. Absolutely. I just flew through those episodes. Like, absolutely flew through them. But... I could easily go back now and rewatch them mm-hmm. because I there's so much there and it's not your stereotypical CW WB show in that yeah there are two male um, guys that are kind of vying for her attention mm-hmm. but that's not even I mean similarly to Gilmore Girls people always ask are you Team Dean or Team Jess or Team Logan but really is anyone really Team Logan. Oh, God, I don't know, but he is the worst. <laughs> um, but we can talk about that another time. But um, I feel like while the, that's interesting and, you know, you kind of do associate yourself with one of those teams, um, like in Jane the Virgin, are you Team Raphael or Team Michael? But, like, that's not what the show is about. Right. That's not the show is about. I'm Team Jane. The, yes, the show is about Jane and her mother mm-hmm. and her and grandmother. grandmother. God, and they're so... There are so many Ugh. issues that it brings up about immigration mm-hmm. and about teen pregnancy mm-hmm. and like, or, and she's not a teenager, but you know, trying to figure out is adoption the way to go? Is abortion the way to go? Mm-hmm. And she's really conflicted. And I rarely see a show on television that I feel like does religious people justice. And finally, I feel like, yes, this is how mm-hmm. the, this is how I know that a lot of religious people are stereotypes or I understand that that stereotype mm-hmm. is there for a reason. But Jane the Virgin, I feel like, actually treats religious people with nuance. Yes. Well, 
Jane's grandmother is a devout Catholic, but her religion is never used as a punchline. Right. It's not. She's not just a stereotype. It's just part. It's of just her, a part of who part she of her is. Character. It's not even the biggest. Uh, I mean, it is a big part of her life, but mm-hmm. like that's not what the show plays up all the right. time. But instead, it certainly does affect her decision making. Mm-hmm. It affects Jane's decision making, mm-hmm. which I love because it shows how deeply affected we are by our family's religious beliefs. Um, I mean, just. I, I find that so personal and so mm-hmm. interesting. Like we're deeply affected by what our parents believe and what our grandparents believe. And Jane is so conflicted sometimes. And the grandmother is conflicted. And yep. I don't know. I feel like that's a show on television. That's really treating religion with some, some nuance and some interest mm-hmm. instead of just blanket stereotypes. And like breaking bad, I think it, it does a great job of having its characters navigate a morally gray Landscape where they have to make these decisions and are not sure how they're going to turn out. Right. Unlike Breaking Bad, it is very quick storytelling. Yes. A lot happens in one episode. In one episode, where I, when I watched *In the Virgin*, I was just coming off of oh, I forget what I had been watching right before that, but it was something very heavy and something very long form, mm-hmm. where like the whole season tells one plot arc. Right. Where *Jane the Virgin*. Each episode tells enough for one season which I, of HBO television. Which maybe why it's binge worthy and maybe why I liked it, but it was a little shocking at first because, and I don't, you know, this isn't spoilers. I mean, the season one has been out for a while now, yeah. but she has that baby at the end of season one. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, this moved along at a normal pace. Like, yep. like a real, because I bet that was similarly to six or nine months right. in television time. And I just knew they were going to drag out that pregnancy forever. And instead, no, here we are. We're, was, we're doing this. It was pretty much real time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which was kind of refreshing, um, but is. very different. So in terms of something very different and also going back to AMC prestige dramas, Mad Men. Yes. Mad Men is very slow along from television. It's also the first show that I binge watched on Netflix. Okay. I got Netflix my senior year of college because... <laughs> My last semester, I was not taking very many classes because I only needed one class to graduate. And I ended up playing a lot of video games and watching a lot of TV, but Mad Men played a big part in that. Okay. Seasons one through four were available on Netflix. Actually, I think seasons one through three were available and season four got put on there while I was watching. So it was just great timing. Yeah. Um, But as I watched it the first time, I thought, oh, this is like a Dostoevsky novel. Everything is very slow, and there are a lot of characters, and if you're not paying attention, you're going to miss something. Yeah. I So I'll be honest. Like, I watched season one of Mad Men, Mm -hmm. and maybe I went into it because I came to it very late in the game. Mm -hmm. Um, This was probably two, two and a half years ago when I tried it for the first time. Maybe three years ago. Pre-Thomasville. This was when I was living in Tallahassee. Okay. And, um... I think I had heard so much hype about Don Draper, right? No, he's not even the most interesting character okay. by any means. So what I'm wondering is if maybe I watched it with the wrong information. Because I started watching it and I thought, Don Draper is the worst. Oh, he's terrible. And I understand, of course, watching people, bad people do bad things. Mm-hmm. Like, I get that. Like, Breaking Bad, I love House of Cards. Mm-hmm. Um, but for some reason, I just did not find Don Draper compelling. And maybe I was watching the wrong person the whole time. That could be. I, I think Don is interesting. Um, and especially because the, he is the show's central character throughout, although other characters do come to the fore and kind of take over that mantle in the latter couple seasons. But I think season two is when Don, you get more of Don's background and you really right. start to understand him as being this 
complete facade, the shell of a person that he has adopted and now has kind of forgotten how to be a real person. Okay. Um, that's what I find interesting about him. Okay. I don't, I have a lot of friends who love Don Draper in, I think, an unhealthy way, who <laughs> look up to him and that's, idealize him. Well, that's the thing. Like, I think I had heard through magazines or through people talking to me that, like, uh, and I don't know if it's because John Hamm is handsome. John like, Hamm I don't is understand. very attractive. But, but I wonder if that was it. Like, all these women I talked to were like, oh my gosh, you're going to love Don Draper. And I was watching it thinking, he is a ski. It's no, like, <laughs> I do not Draper love is, Don Draper. Don Draper is gross. <laughs> um, and if you have not watched Mad Men, you're missing out. But, like, just watch the first episode. It's totally different from the rest of the show. But it just shows you this guy, this skeezy guy, going about his life, making bad business, like, mean business deals. Right. Um, being mean to his girlfriend. And then there's this twist in the last minute and a half of the show that the first time I watched it, like, my jaw dropped. I had no idea yeah. that that was going to be the premise of the show. So please watch Mad Men. It's yeah, all maybe, available on Netflix maybe now. Maybe I'll start over. Maybe I'll try again. I think you should. Okay. Because I am looking for something. Because we did finish House of Cards and... Oh, and the finale. Oh my gosh. <sighs> did so many things for me. Claire Underwood. Is everything. Okay, here... Am I allowed to talk about this? This yes, is politics. You can. Um, I'm trying to figure out... It, and this is apolitical. This has nothing to do. But are the Clintons the Underwoods? Are they no. Are they smart enough to be the Underwoods? No. No one is as smart as the Underwoods. But it like some of the stuff that is happening politically feels like House of Cards to me. And that show was so prescient this season with like Frank's father being photographed how with a member of the KKK, know? which is exactly what Jordan happened. Jordan and I were watching Trump. that, going, "How did they know?" They had. It was so weird. Divine foreknowledge. Yeah, it is almost um, prophetic. I think it's very easy to map the Underwoods onto the Clintons, but I don't. I don't. Know. I mean, I certainly don't. I mean, Frank and Claire are like a cut above. Like they're, I know that that. Well, I hope that that is a not real life, and b they're too fabulous. I think for mm -hmm. to be real. Um, but I was just thinking last night while watching the Democratic debate, I was like, oh, Hillary has kind of you know stood by her man, done this whole thing. Because, and now it's her turn. And now it's her turn. Mm -hmm. And I guess I was thinking, oh, that's like clear. I think that's that's there and I think the show is playing with that but then not trying to give us obviously true to life yeah characters yeah um Veep I think is a great companion to House of Cards because they're the same plot I would love to watch Veep and I just need to get my HBO go Veep is great but it is overwhelmingly vulgar yeah that's what I've heard uh but I hilarious love, and I love Tony Hale I love Tony Hale and I love Julia Julia, Julia Louis-Dreyfus yeah big Seinfeld fan from way back yes Another show that rewards its viewers. It's Seinfeld absolutely rewards its viewers. And I love Seinfeld. I think, um, I don't know. I think maybe it's time to tackle Mad Men. We're watching, we're just going back now and rewatching parts of The Office, mm -hmm. which I think The Office is really great. Re I love The Office. Rewatchability. Especially the first five seasons. Um, there's just so much in terms of, I think you hit the nail on the head when you talked about good art. Mm -hmm. And I think the reality is that if you enjoy reading and you enjoy well-written things then you will naturally enjoy well-written television because too. it's all story right yeah we all love a good story and no matter what the medium is if it's a good story it's going to affect us yeah and that goes for books for short stories for magazine articles you you can be very much affected by yeah. a journalistic magazine article a tv show a movie a play a podcast? Yeah, absolutely. I think you're right. It's just about storytelling and 
I I'm gonna use that as an excuse now when I binge watch. That's things. been my excuse for a couple <laughs> years. I just well, I keep this media log of of everything that I watch, read, or listen to that has any sort of narrative, and I've been keeping this for three and a half months now. But that was my justification. Like, if it has a narrative to it, I'm going to record it because these narratives affect me, and I internalize them and. And they Turn affect your own, else. I was about to say, they affect your own creativity. They do, they absolutely do. Because I don't, you know, I worry sometimes that I consume too much instead of creating mm-hmm. anything, So, I, and I think that's a valid concern, but I also know sometimes I have consumed things and they have made me a better writer. Mm-hmm. Um, I One show that is very old, but um, I love it so much, uh, is The Wonder Years, mm-hmm. and those narrations of the adult looking back on his childhood... I still sometimes when I write, like, it kind of channel that voice. The Wonder Years is beautiful. It is so beautiful. And not a ton of things make me cry. I think I cry more in adulthood than I used to. But The Wonder Years, almost every episode without fail, I'm I'm in tears at the end. It's so well done. I have a small, not even an anecdote, but my favorite episode of The Wonder Years is the one where the mom takes a pottery class. Yes. And she ends up making this... Like, enormous ashtray that has, like, 50 places to put cigarettes. Yeah. And the dad is like, what is this? Am I going to have 100 people over for a party? <laughs> <laughs> it's great. And then she cheats at her pottery class because it's a blindfolded pottery class. Yeah. And she just peeks and makes this beautiful vase. And then her daughter comes in and says, like, oh, mom, you're going to be burning your bra in the driveway. <laughs> and it's just that that's the moment that has stuck with me for 20 years since when I saw that There's, um... episode. There's one episode where Kevin is playing baseball, I think, or t-ball or something. Something. And he, the adult narration at the end, says something about him hitting a home run. But then the adult says, well, to be honest, I don't know if I hit the home mm. run. And and to me, that little moment, and it's worded way more beautifully, but it made me think how often we look back incorrectly on yes. our childhood. And so I immediately finished that episode and was like, I must write about this. Um, because <laughs> my grandfather um, was a self-published author. He wrote a memoir right before he died, and I helped him edit it um, while I was in college. And he called it um, Backroads to a Better Life, Believe It or Not. And I was like, Papa, why do you want to leave do you really want it to say believe it or not? And he was like, yes, because there are stories in here that some are true and some aren't. And it's going to be up to you to know if they're true, which was just the most ridiculous sounding thing to me. And then, um, he, my grandfather was like five foot five or something. <laughs> we're, we're a short little family, the Butterworths. And he had a chapter in there about playing basketball, which he did. My family loves basketball. Um, but it talked about him slam making a slam dunk. And I remember editing it and going to him and being like, Papa B, I think this is a typo. I think this is a mistake. Like, I don't think basketball, <laughs> I don't think basketball goals were shorter <laughs> back then. And he was like, well, believe it or not. And I just remember <laughs> thinking, at, at the time I thought, this is ridiculous. This is so silly. And now as an adult, I love that. Like as an older adult, I kind of love that he made his history whatever he wanted it to be. And we all do. Yes. I'm glad that he has the strength to admit that. Yeah. I, anyway, I and so watching The Wonder Years, I just feel like that storytelling is really powerful to me. I have a married lady crush on Fred Savage. <laughs> I follow him on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> so we're getting to the end yeah. of this episode. So speaking of following people on Twitter, 
Let's talk about The Bachelor. Yes, let's talk about The Bachelor. Because we both watched The Bachelor. And it is not any of the things we've really talked no, about. No, it is not. <laughs> it is not um, incredibly it has well written. A lot less substance. Yeah. And yet. And yet we both watch it religiously. Some of it is just so compelling, and part of that is not the writing, but the editing. The editing is genius. The forming a story out of however many dozens of hours, hundreds of hours of footage yeah. that these people must have, yeah. and compiling it in such a way to make something linear. And I do think, because, so a few people that live tweet The Bachelor are writers, like Jennifer Weiner um, mm -hmm. writes quote-unquote chiclet, right? right? And she live tweets The Bachelor. Um, a couple of other folks from the Huffington Post live tweet The Bachelor. So these are intelligent, well-written, well-spoken men and women live tweeting this ridiculous show. Mm -hmm. Guilty as charged. I also. I also <laughs> live tweet The Bachelor. Yeah. But I have, I mean, I consider myself a writer, and but I have published author friends who also watch The Bachelor with me. We meet every Monday when it's on and we watch The Bachelor together. Yeah. Um, but these are intelligent, writerly, artistic people, and I don't understand what it is that we all love about I this. I don't either, but I think I've asked you this already, but you um, do not watch Unreal, The Lifetime? I haven't yet. Okay, so, and I hate to say Lifetime because I know people everywhere are rolling their eyes, but Unreal is this Lifetime show based on The Bachelor, and a former Bachelor producer, right. I believe, produces and writes um, for Unreal, and it to me is incredibly well written and very well done, almost shocking. If you watch other lifetimey things, this kind of does not add up. One mm -hmm. of these things is not like the other. Um, but the reasons it is compelling maybe point to why The Bachelor itself is compelling. Mm. Um, and one of the reasons I think The Bachelor is compelling is the characters. Mm -hmm. So talk about character-driven, because there's not a lot happening per episode. No. You can easily skip episodes. You know, the dates are very rarely interesting. Rarely are clever things being said. Right. <laughs> but what is interesting is the characters. Which is, like, when we talk about The Bachelor in the store when the, when the season is airing, we're never talking about who's going to win, and we're never talking about, like, wasn't it cute when Ben went on this date with no. Kayla, whatever. <laughs> We're never talking about that. We're always only talking about these individual, individual women. Individual people, yeah. And these characters that they have adopted for the show or have been given to them by editors. Yes. And I think it is mostly the latter. Yeah, absolutely it is, which is maybe why I keep watching now because now I know more than I used mm -hmm. to. Like, I know that... Um, the Bachelor or Bachelorette like chooses the top 10 or something, right. but then everybody else is a producer pick. And again, watching Unreal just opened my eyes to the whole enterprise. So I do recommend that because I do think that's a really well-written show as well to watch in companion to if you're a Bachelor or Bachelorette fan. And if you're not, you can follow us on Twitter <laughs> and watch our... Live tweets. Our various live tweets. <laughs> I do really love when The Bachelor is on because I know I can count on at least one really great conversation at the bookshelf of the week about The Bachelor. The Bachelorette premieres next month on ABC. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it weirdly. I am. I don't know how to feel about it. I don't know how to feel because I don't know about The Bachelorette. Like, I don't know about I, who they chose. I don't care about JoJo. Yeah. And I generally care about men on television less than women, which is maybe why I like The Bachelor more. It's just <laughs> a bunch of very interesting women. Yeah. Instead of a bunch of broy guys. You know? Jordan does. Jordan does not watch The Bachelor Bachelorette with me, but... He does have some interesting observations about how men behave when they're in groups versus how women behave mm -hmm. when they're in groups. And we have some really interesting discussions about that. 
Okay, so I think we have covered a lot of territory here. Gilmore Girls, Breaking Bad, Jane the Virgin, Mad Men, The Bachelor. Arrested Development. Arrested Development, The Wonder Years. These are all really good television shows if you, like us, are avid readers too. Mm-hmm. You can find full episodes of From the Front Porch on iTunes or on our store website at www.bookshelfthomasville.com. And you can follow us on social media, that is Twitter or Instagram, at Bookshelf Thanks so much for listening, and we will see you next week.